Do you want to have impact and purpose without disrupting your life or leaving your day job? Podcasting may be the perfect fit for you, your experience, and your voice. Sign up for my upcoming free course where you will learn how to start podcasting using your unique voice, create a platform in four weeks, get access to resources, and more. Go to www.disruptingbalance.com slash podu. That's P-O-D-U to sign up now. And I think some of that is also confidence, right? If you don't know who you are, then it's very easy to allow others feedback to like, oh, well, that must be who I am. I must be such a terrible person who has never done anything to help them, which is not true. You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. On today's episode, we have Anna Gonzalez. Anna is a coal miner's granddaughter who grew up in the Lone Star State of Texas. And it's no coincidence that Anna herself symbolizes this Lone Star in her life experiences. She is a proud Mexican-American woman with an unparalleled independence that catapulted her into media leadership roles with CNN, CNBC, and NASDAQ. Anna is no stranger to adversity and trauma as she overcame personal struggles with identity and addiction. Yet, she also possessed a strong desire to excel and the instincts of a natural-born leader that continues to guide her today. In this episode, Anna shares why it was important to share her story now. Her passion for innovative storytelling and servant leadership is truly the mark of a lone star. You can find Anna on LinkedIn at Anna Galactic, A-N-N-A-G-A-L-A-C-T-I-C, or on Twitter and Instagram at Anna underscore Galactic, or Facebook at Web Anna, W-E-B-A-N-N-A. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have Anna Gonzalez. How are you, Anna? Hi, I'm doing well today. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well, hanging in there as you are doing, I'm sure. But we're going to jump right in. And the first question, the big question is, what is your story? Not a small question, definitely. So I'm Anna. I, at my core, I identify as a a creator and a teacher. I'm the granddaughter of a coal miner and migrant laborers. I, my dad grew up on the Texas-Mexico border. So technically, you know, he's many generations in and his family is mostly acclimated to American culture, but definitely, you know, Mexican of Mexican descent. And my mom immigrated to the United States when she was 12 from a small village in Mexico. And she was the one who made sure to tell me 
that I might have light skin, but my butt is brown. I am Mexican. I'm of course Mexican American, but I am Mexican. So to me, it's kind of funny. Like this year, I've been asked uh, more times than ever. Like, are you Indian? Are you Japanese? Are you Jewish? Are you white? But I always have to stay true to myself. Definitely Mexican American, if not Texan. So I grew up not on the border and not in in Mexico, but in the suburbs of North Dallas. So automatically definitely felt like an outsider because the suburbs of North Dallas, there's really kind of one quote unquote normal way to live. And, you know, that's your Christian, you, you go to church every Sunday, you go to college, you get married, you have kids, you have a job, maybe if you're a woman, maybe not. And then, you know, you, you just continue on with the rest of your life from there in that cycle. And I just knew that was never going to be me. Not that I think anything is wrong with that because, you know, it's a great place to raise children. And, but for me, I just knew I wanted something different. My heart just wanted to soar out of the suburbs, go to New York, go to London, go to Paris, go everywhere around the world. And that, that definitely made me different. And then being in between these two cultures, Mexican culture, and then the suburbs of North Dallas, which is a very particular culture, being opinionated, loving heavy metal music, being creative. I mean, I was just, I don't think people knew what to do with me. It did take years though, before I really got to express myself with my blue hair, which I only just recently got. But, you know, I think my mom was really my, has always been my hero and someone that I've looked up to. And she's someone who taught me throughout you know, she went um, how to keep pushing and persevering. And she went through a lot of obstacles and challenges. And that really had an impact on me because I could see what it was like for her to be a Mexican immigrant trying to climb the ranks of corporate America. And for her, she wanted to clear the path for me and make it as easy as possible. That's part of the reason we went to Dallas, you know, and went to these good school districts. But, you know, I actually like my first language was Spanish and I used to have an accent and she knew that that would be something. And, you know, I'm not even going to try. At first I was going to try and like couch it and like potentially, you know, be detrimental. No, I mean, she was definitely like, that's, that's gonna, she knew because of her hardships that it was going to be hard for me. And, and one example of that was in second grade, they didn't want to test me for like the advanced classes because how could someone with an accent, like actually, you know, have the intelligence to get into these advanced programs. And she had to really push to be able to have me get tested. And lo and behold, like I was put in advanced programs for my education, I was constant. I'm like straight A student, constantly pushing myself forward. I used to joke that like I must have been a 1950s housewife in a prior life because I just wanted to do everything and experience all of life and just like drink it up as much as possible, you know, before the age of like 17, <laughs> if not like 15. And I think you know, that that's obviously just like living life in the fast lane and comes with definite issues, especially once I hit the teenage years. My dad is somewhat of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde character, and he's curious and supportive and wonderful and philosophical. And we always have a good time when we're together and until he's not, until he's a completely different person. And due to, I would say mostly his alcoholism and so, and when I was a teen, what I would try and do is escape that through drug abuse. You know, it 
took and that took somebody that was like hungry for life and straight A student. And then all of a sudden it's like, you're trying to figure out who you are as a teen living in these two different cultures. And then also, you know, dealing with this stuff that like the pain of my dad, right? Like he's going through his own pain and I'm feeling that and also getting the repercussions of it. And so I chose a terrible outlet for trying to figure out how to deal with all these pressures and emotions and being different, feeling like an outsider and not knowing that that was okay. You know, that to be different is okay. I remember, and this is like, I was like 16, about to be 17. My mom came into my room and she was like, you know, and this is a woman who is like, to me, she's a secret feminist. Like she's all about empowering others, but especially women and young women. And she came into my room and she's like, you know, Miha, if I just really wanted to tell you that if all you really want to do in life is be a clerk at Target, then I'm going to support you and I'm going to be by your side. And I was like, what? Who is she talking to? <laughs> and for me, that was like, oh, Anna, you got to get your life together. And that was the first time I sobered up. And I was like, all right. And I got to clean myself up. And that same thirst for life, that same thirst for education just came roaring back. And I graduated early from high school. It was like, I, I can't deal with the, the pettiness of high school, right? It was like, I need to get out of here. Went to community college, completely changed my life, got a full paid scholarship to Southern Methodist University in Dallas, and then continued on this path. And I wish I could tell you that that was the last time I needed to come sober. But I think that what I've really, in looking back at my life, I've been like, you know, I guess I just have to learn lessons the hard way because it really took like two other times to become sober. And even that, and right now I've been sober this last time for five years. I have no like feeling in my bones at all to go back to that because it just, it took a long time to realize, you know, even now I wish I could say like, oh yeah, life is so balanced and I know exactly what I'm doing. But I mean, it was even earlier this year where I was pushing myself beyond boundaries I even knew was possible. I mean, it's like, I was just taking it all in, traveling in between New York and San Francisco and studying and you know, they say when you start grad school that you're supposed to like throw something out of your life, right? Like you're obviously not going to throw your family, but maybe you need to stop watching so many Netflix or you need to start telling people, no, you can't do something so you can Mm -hmm. focus on these two years in school. Well, earlier this year, I just graduated in May and and it was now it was January and, you know, more than halfway through the school and I was still pushing so hard. I had not thrown anything out. And I think, Now, looking back at all this and the cycles, it's like, you know, I just accept that A, I have to learn lessons the hard way. That's just like apparently who I am. And the second thing is that this is the way I like to live. I like to live fast. I like to live hard. I don't like to say no to life at all. But what that comes with is then you need to couple that with the knowledge of how do you take care of yourself and really you know, recover and not always be in a state of recovery, you know, but I'm saying like recover because you've pushed so hard, but you need to take some time for yourself. And I would say that's really just come to me with COVID. I was going to ask like with going full speed ahead with life from your early years to now that you've encapsulate, encapsulated quite well, what is that counterbalance? Like what is what does Anna do now knowing that Anna likes to do things her way and, you know, learn things the hard way. 
How do you counterbalance all of that? Yeah, well, when I was traveling literally around the world for work, what one of the things I would do is just sleep whenever presented the opportunity. Like literally, maybe I'm on a train going from one place to another and there's beautiful scenery. Oh well, give it up. Like let's sleep, you know, <laughs> or just any time like that I would find that opportunity. So I understood that like I also started micro napping, which I'm not a hundred percent sure is like totally healthy. But I started to understand like, yeah, Anna, you can't function without eight hours. So sleep is absolutely a priority, trying to figure out clearing any obstacles so that you can definitely sleep. But then, you know, with COVID, it's like, it's not just about sleep, right? You have so much time and so many obstacles and restrictions. So I went back to what I love and what I know. And that for me is artwork and writing. I would take 10 minutes out of the day, just set an alarm, 10 minutes and just write. And I'm not writing for anyone. I'm not writing for any goal, except to just kind of exercise whatever's inside of me and get it out. And that I felt like you just lose time. I would just like go into this place, go into my head, get to know myself better. It's almost like a form of meditation for me. Then I would just find different creative projects and challenges to give myself. Like we'd go on these beautiful walks and see flowers that had already been, you know, that would shed from their stem. And I would pick up all the flower petals and I'd make artwork with them and take pictures. Again, why? No reason, just the pure act of creation. And that really helps me. And then, of course, you know, spending time with family and just talking. And, you know, I just had a four hour conversation with a friend yesterday. And, like, I don't know when we have done that before, you know, but something about COVID, I've had a lot of like three to four hour conversations with friends. And I really find a lot of solace, not only in those internal exercises, but also, you know, reaching out to others and connecting on a really deep level. Yeah. So, Tell me a little bit about why you even care about excelling and doing so well and what you do, even from a young age where you talked about you got all A's, you know, why did you care? Why do you care now? What is it? That that's definitely something that I had to ask myself, especially in, in grad school. So I would say it's like not something that I've been cognizant of this whole time, but I think there's there's your I think on the surface there's your personal best, right? Like I just always strive to see like how far can I go? How how far can I take this? And that's why my like Instagram handle is Anna Galactic. It's cuz I'm constantly shooting for the stars. And if you end up on the moon, cool, you're on the moon. Maybe you didn't make it to the stars, but you're on the moon, you know. Um, and that experience, that that new thirst for life, I mean, that's like what makes me feel like close to the source, right? Like of life is just, we're taking advantage of this opportunity. Um, but then, you know, I was in grad school and we were doing this project, the capstone project, where you're basically going through the setup of the steps of making a startup. And we were about to pitch in front of investors, real investors, but, you know, not really for to get money. And I was so nervous. And I just happened to say, why do I care so much? Why, why do I care? Like, we're about to go in this. It's, it's just a grade. Like, what, what is really driving me? And it just kind of came out. And one of my teammates looked at me and was like, you need some validation. <laughs> <laughs> you need someone to tell you you've done a great job. And Anna, mm-hmm. you have done a great job. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I, for me, that what brought that back was like, 
that again, that feeling of being an outsider and not knowing that I was okay. And also like, I have my uncle in my head telling him like, you go show them what a Gonzalez can do, right? Like they don't think that we can amount to very much, but you, you're going to show them. And so I think I have, it's like part pride, part, like, I just need that love and validation. I work in social. I live for my likes, you know, uh, healthy or not. That is, you know, I do appreciate that. And then also just for the sheer joy of discovery of like, oh my gosh, I did that. I was able to do that. And that pride, that prideful yeah. moment. So do you find then that you carry your culture on your back at any point in your life or in the past or now? And if so, what is that like? And if not, why not? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Absolutely, first of all, absolutely. And on the not so great side, we'll call it, you know, there was, I was recently introduced to this uh, concept of, I mean, we all know personal trauma. We've all gone through at least one Mm -hmm. thing, right? By this point. And then this idea of generational trauma. And like I was saying before, like the things that my dad and my mom have gone through, I feel them. I, I don't feel like, oh, sympathetic. I mean, I like literally take them on and I've had to like, you know, do some work about like, it's not my stuff, you know? And then there's also this cultural aspect, right? Like our people who have come before us, right? Like there's, we, uh, for me, it's like, I do want to be a good representative of my culture, Mexican culture and, and women everywhere and young women who have struggled and young women who feel different. Like I do carry this flag for all of us. And I, I don't see it as a burden. I definitely see it as a source of pride, but I think also it's incredibly important. Like I'm the kind of person who wants to bring everyone to the table, right? Like I'm not competing against, you know, this portion of the pie, this is mine. Like I'd rather grow the pie. And I think that comes from our culture. And growing up, we used to go to my Walitha's house and she had a very small house in central San Antonio. And somehow it was kind of like that proverb of, you know, Jesus breaking the bread and having every feeding everyone. I mean, I don't know how we had so much food for Cause my mom is like one of eight kids and, you know, kids have kids and then there's neighbors and friends and, you know, all these cousins, like, and we always had enough food for everybody. And so it's not about like coming from a place of I'm better than you, or I'm going to get all the chicken or you know, whatever. It's about like, let's share. And I carry that in my leadership role. And I think that is cultural, right? And so I don't think I would be a completely different person if I wasn't raised this way. Um, So I think that I look to it not only as a source of motivation to, you know, do well by our culture, but also as a way of like inspiration for the way that I like to lead teams. Yeah. So on the note of carrying your culture and leadership, let's go back to your first experience as a leader. I believe you were 27 and leading a team, and you had several challenges. Let's talk a little bit about that and how you kind of grew through that process and what you learned. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of crazy because, you know, that, I guess that was my first like formal leadership position. But throughout my life, people have identified me as a natural born leader. And I took it for granted. I just thought that meant like, you know, if you're natural at something, you don't really have to practice. You don't have to learn about it. And that's not true. That's not true at all. And I think, you know, so I was young and I, but I'm very confident in my abilities and my skills. And 
you know, so I was able to like convince a news director to have me be the head of their digital department overseeing social and, and the web. And I had a team of three, three young women. And I just thought I made the classic manager first, you know, first manager mistake, which is like, I really want them to be my friend. It was very important Mm -hmm. for me to be liked. And I just bent over backwards trying to make sure that I was teaching them everything that I had learned, you know, coming up as a journalist in Dallas, Texas, and we were in a smaller market in Austin. And I thought I was doing everything I could to be like a service, you know, to provide my, my skills and to teach them and be a good servant leader. And then one day I get called into the news director's office and, you know, he's looking grim, the assistant news director's looking grim. And I'm like, what, what breaking news happened, right? Like what just happened? And they said that the whole team had come to them to say that I wasn't doing a good job being their manager. And as you might imagine, like I was devastated. And I mean, it took me a long time to pick myself back up. And also, it's not only just there was definitely some political intrigue going on. One of the young women thought that she deserved to have my job and was absolutely conspiring with another manager to get it. But short of that, like, I think now knowing, you know, however many years later, 10 years later, now I know how I would have dealt with that situation, but I had none of those tools. And I internalized all of that feedback. Some of it was definitely valid. Some of it was not, you know, some of it was just them trying to get me out so that this young woman could be the manager. And it's also sad to say that's not the last time that I've had to deal with that kind of attitude. But, you know, I had to come into work every day, knowing that these women had complained about me and trying to figure out, first of all, like, who am I? Because I had associated myself with being a good leader and being a journalist and being a newsroom, a leader in the newsroom. And they had just like knocked, I allowed that, that feedback to just completely knock the wind out of my sails and take me down. And I think some of that is also confidence, right? If you don't know who you are, then it's very easy to allow others feedback to like, oh, well, that must be who I am. I must be such a terrible person who has never done anything to help them, which was not true. So it wasn't until I, and I think the other issue that I had was like, even though there was a whole newsroom of people who supported me, who knew I wasn't, you know, like I said, some of that stuff wasn't true. I didn't see that. I didn't see all the good around me. I just focused on this negativity and yeah, I, I called, I called my mama. I called my mom crying like every day. I mean, like for at least a few weeks, <laughs> like, yeah. it really knocked me down. Yeah. And did you find that at any point during that time that you thought for some reason it was due to your gender or to your culture, or did you just chalk it up to the fact that, you know, they just didn't like you? Like, how did you process that? Great question because I think that again, you know, with the vision of being 10 years down the line, like I've definitely been able to identify just straight up otherness, you know, and when you are being excluded from a a clique, and I don't mean like that in the high school form, but like from a group of people who, you know, are very similar to each other and you're just not one of them. And it could be because of gender, religion, creativity, outspoken. I mean, we could keep going, right? But I think, no, in this case, I didn't, 
I didn't put any of it on outside factors. I put it all squarely on me not being a good person. It took a lot to to bring myself back out. And then definitely with the help of other people. But no, unfortunately, I internalized all of that. So tell me then about the other side of this. What are the instincts of uh, a natural born leader? Like the good side, what are some of your natural characteristics that you know you tap into without failure when you are leading? Yeah, I, I would say one, first and foremost for me is like uplifting others. And and that's something that I learned from my mom and something that I think is, again, cultural, like the good of the community, right? And something that I think, I, I, I feel so good when others shine, right? And I know that I've helped them get to that place of being able to accomplish their their own goal. So I would say I've always had that as part of like who I am and, but probably most likely because I saw that really played out for me and my parents and the way that they serve others and my family. I think that's one thing. Uh, second is I'm, it's funny because I, on one hand, I can be very insecure, but definitely not when it comes to my abilities. I'm very bullheaded about that. That's the Taurus in me. Like I know what I'm doing. And so that confidence in the skills, right? Like once I've nailed something and I understand it, then I can teach it to others and help people understand how to hone in their own abilities to like keep adding, you know, so that we build on top of each other's positive attributes so that we can create something bigger than ourselves. I would say that's something that I've always been part of as well. And third is being someone who is feels like an outsider, I can identify that with others pretty quickly. I can also identify when someone doesn't feel like that and they don't need help in that area. But I've been told, you know, throughout my life that I help people feel comfortable. And when you're hurting like that on the inside and you just want somebody to tell you you're okay, or like, it's fine if you're different in XYZ, I don't care, you know, like, so that openness and accepting, I think that helps in building a team and, and helps also in, in having people follow you when you need to give direction. I really can identify with those three characteristics and I connect for several reasons. And one also being because I'm one to carry that the, the, my culture on my back as well, because I am West African and I feel like if we, if the community does well, then we all thrive. But Mm -hmm. I found that sometimes it can be a burden, you know, because I'm always trying to make sure everybody comes along and then I'm forgetting myself. You know, mm-hmm. so that has been the challenge for me, you know, but let's take a, a step back. You talked in the beginning about some of your pain, your challenges, addiction. Mm-hmm. And I know in one of your posts on LinkedIn specifically, you started to share some of the aspects of your survivor story. I want to know why now? Why share that story? Because you did mention when we spoke that you became quiet about certain aspects of your life at a certain point, but now you're starting to share and be more open. Why is that? That's a great question. I think for me, my family comes first and I was so vocal as a kid. Like I was just like, I I needed help, but I just like, like I mentioned before, I don't think that people knew what to do with like such a rebellious kid, you know, and I I saw how that impacted my family. And so I, I switched to this, to just trying to 
from being so rebellious against the perfect Hispanic daughter to like, no, I'm going to try and do that, you know, and make my parents proud. And so I didn't, and I knew, I mean, it's, it's shameful to talk about these things. Right. And I didn't want to bring shame on my family. And, you know, of course, everyone wants to come across as like, we're just perfect and happy and nothing's wrong. And um, I just happen to only succeed. I have no problems. I just only do good things. But I think that's that's so not who I am. I'm I'm definitely Anna, comma imperfect, and I just have this feeling inside of me that well, it's not even just a feeling. You can see it. Other people need to hear this kind of thing, right? Like I hope, and and that's what helped me is hearing about how others overcame obstacles. And you know, I think a lot of people can kind of look at me, look at my resume, and be like, "Wow, that's great." you know, she, I, I don't know what they must think actually, but I wanted, I wanted people to know that, yes, you can see factually that the resume looks nice, but there's this other side. There are all these obstacles that I've gotten over. And if you think you can't get over them, and if you think you can't go back to school, get your master's, change jobs, change your life, change your location, whatever the case may be, if you think that you you're trapped and you can't do anything to make your situation better, let me tell you about some of the things I've overcome, (laughs) you know, because you can, you absolutely can. And it's that mindset. And then a friend of mine at work told me about a situation that she was going through that was sort of similar to the first situation that I mentioned. And I was like, you know what, I, I can help you with that. Like, let me tell you about what it was like to try and bring yourself, build yourself back up after such a blow and the kinds of things that I was reading and teaching myself and identifying where, yes, I had made some mistakes and how to repair that relationship, but then also acknowledging like, hey, this is also messed up and needs to be addressed and, and how to solve those problems and deal with conflict. And so I wrote it for her. And then my brother was going through something and I was like, he needs it. And then somebody else was going through something. I was like, wait a minute. So like, I was right, you know, this feeling of like, it's time to be open about this and, you know, to help other people. And I honestly, like I did check, I I talked to my parents, you know, I say like, check in, like, like I'm 14, but um, they obviously are very important to me. And I went to, you know, I just started talking to them about like, Hey, I think that looking back, like my story is very different. And I think it might help others. I hope it helps others. And I want to start talking about it. And true to form, they're super supportive. Well, I am so happy for you, for you, just hearing you talk about your ability to help others through your own experience makes me like feel warm, you know, and joyful and happy because I think that essentially is kind of the purpose of life. Like we come in, we have these experiences, whether they're traumas or challenges, and we're supposed to do something with that. And I think so far you're doing an amazing, amazing job. So thank you for that. I appreciate you saying that. I think finding the purpose and the pain is also yeah. how you feel you and, and you're helping others along the way. Then you're just, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. You are a writer. We know that, creative and all of that. And Toni Morrison, I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. her, she has a quote that says, if there's a book that you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. So I want to know from you, 
what is the story that you want to read that hasn't been written yet? Oh, what a beautiful quote. And I love, I used, I went through a phase where I just read everything that she wrote too. Mm -hmm. Such a powerful writer. I, if there was a book that hasn't been written yet, it would be about how a wild woman succeeds in corporate America. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. And who is the wild woman, pray tell? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have quite a list of evidence that shows that I might be a little rebellious and a little different in the way I think and don't like to brush my hair. (laughs) That is awesome. Well, you definitely have the wild story in a very good way to tell. And I look forward to that read one of these days. So (laughs) there you go. Add it to your list. I'm Anna Gonzalez, and I am disrupting balance by creating and living by my own set of rules. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm disrupting balance, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balance Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon.